I'm very tired. It's been a long ass week. I've been staying up way later than I should. Uh, yeah, I've been doing that too. Um, So before we get started with this episode, yes, I want to acknowledge that during episode 50, we didn't actually start the episode. So you're saying we should start it twice this episode? Correct. Okay. So So we should do last episode's beginning? mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kat. I'm Kira. And we watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoilers. Bad BDSM. Real bad. Real, real bad. just, Just the worst. Just absolutely appallingly irresponsible. Now that we're right, out so we'll of just, episode 50. We'll just uh, go back in time and drop that into the episode. Obviously, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. astute listeners will not uh, have noticed because it already occurred in the past and they did listen to the episode with a proper starting. Right. Um, I've had my jerk-off box running this entire time <laughs> so that I could go back and add it in. <laughs> That's <laughs> smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the second longest enduring bit joke that we've kept going. It's like that and neck drug are our two big ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, good clean fun. Um, okay, so I have a thing to talk to you about. Before we start the episode? Yes, I went to a coffee shop today to do some writing and also to buy coffee because we needed coffee for this week. Um, and I sat there at this coffee shop in the back writing my little fan fiction on my little laptop and a man and a woman sat down sort of to my left at uh, a basically on the corner bench. And this man was a gentleman of absolute negative riz. Okay. Like, on a, on a riz Kelvin scale... He's absolute zero (laughs) because he was flirting by talking about AI. Oh, Jesus Christ. He was doing the flirt voice. Like he had that little bit of vocal fry that he added to his voice. And he was like talking softly and like being very gentle and like, but then like, oh, you know, I've always thought about moving to Japan. I wonder what I should ask chat GPT what kind of job I could get in Japan. And he was doing his goddamn best to lay his riz into this poor girl who was sitting next to him. And it was just so awkward. I, I, I was messaging Ray about it, and I was messaging the Danger Square about it. That sounds so and fucking painful. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a lot. And then, and then, the twist of twists, though. Okay, twist me. The twist was, he's already dating this girl. Oh. So at some point, she must have been charmed by his, like, zero Kelvin Riz. I thought that only worked for lesbians. The thing is, 
you know, he probably would have looked pretty good if he transitioned. So uh, maybe it's, it's just a, practice. It, uh, is does time dot is have like a remind me in two years function? I well, he's gonna be in Japan working as a barista or a help desk support rep or something like that because those are the options. Oh, also influencer. Chat GPT did recommend that he become an influencer. Ah, uh, yes. I shall simply become an influencer in Japan. Uh, it's... It was just like... He talks so much about AI. God. It was it just like, why is this how you flirt? I have a confession, cat. Uh-huh. I have flirted by talking about AI before. Like ChatGPT AI but, or but, like but making fun the, of it. Okay, so that's different. This was this was very much a I should ask ChatGPT what job I should get kind of a mm. talking about AI. That's which really unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't it's not an answer device. It's no. not It doesn't generate answers. It generates the next most probable word based on what it knows from its language learning. It doesn't tell the truth. It just creates a probabilistically logical sentence. Yeah, it it makes something that sounds truthy-ish. It, it it is an object of truthiness. If you yeah. go back to Stephen Colbert when he was on the Colbert what Show a... and he coined the term truthiness, meaning things that you want to feel like are true and therefore you treat them like are true even though they are not. Yeah. So I I was unfortunate witness to this and it definitely affected my word count because <sighs> I. Oh, that, that, that's, that's your whole afternoon. That's consumed you. Yeah. I was, I was obsessed because the dynamic is so fascinating. Like, you know, obviously you do still flirt with your partner a a little bit, but like, why would you lay into your partner with the negative Riz? It's, it was almost like he was flirting to de-attract her. A, what if he was he, trying that? B, he pressed the degauss button on his CRT. <laughs> oh and he my went, god. <laughs> <laughs> what if <clears throat> What if it was part of a role play? Hmm. Then I'm okay with it. I think I'm I'm, I'm more into it now if it was part yeah, of a what's role it, play. What if it's like a kink thing? Um, they should be arrested for performing kink in public, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could just sort of blanket say you should be arrested for talking about AI that way in public. I I I can agree to that. <laughs> should we start the episode? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I've got I've got we're going to have fun with this one, I promise. Um yeah, yeah. Uh I'll start this one though. Okay. Um <clears throat> hello and welcome to Unsound Theories. I'm Kira. I'm Kat. We watch movies with no sound and no subtitles and try to figure out what the hell is going on. Spoilers. A lot of really good songs by Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> um, That's why I get I guess, uh, unsound theories was the, I, yeah, was yeah, the I, joke I, that I prepared. I, I came with you on that one. That was good. That was good.
if you if it's not obvious, we watched um, the movie adaptation of Monster Factory. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> there were so many guys in this that looked like somebody just hit random on a character creator. So, uh, very specifically within the like lore of the Dick Tracy comic. Or not in the mm-hmm. lore of the Dick Tracy comic, but in the meta of the Dick Tracy comic, those characters are called grotesques. Okay. And um, Mr. Blank was the first technical grotesque in the Dick Tracy comics. Okay. This, okay. Fascinating. I, I really want to explore the... Uh, sort of like ecology and biology of the of the world. Okay. Because it seems like in on this planet, which clearly is not our own, uh, crime has a phenotype. Like, are are we suggesting that there is a criminal gene? See, here's it. Here's the thing. Or is it like concurrent evolution, and there is a phenotypic expression that occurs regardless There's... of actual <clears throat> genetics, as long as you have a grotesque enough phenotype? See, this is this is the thing I want to investigate because is it a genetic predisposition to crime that turns you that also comes along with um, a uh, just sort of randomly assigned set of head parameters, and or is it we call those head cannons <laughs> is it the crime that makes you this way is it is it a, is it and and following that is it the morality of the crime or the legality do do the laws of this world have biological imperative because obviously it cannot be moral otherwise all of the cops would have fucked up heads right hmm. are they like so here's the thing, though. What if they're what in if they're the like comics? Dick Tracy also kind of has a fucked up head. Huh. Okay. He's got like a fully square head. Okay. This. Okay. I think this solidifies things a little bit more for me. I think we might be dealing with like a like a secondary sort of subspecies situation where they are like second class citizens and they are forced to turn to crime as a way to survive in the city where um, you gotta have a normo face or you're just sort of outcast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? So Kat just sent me like, a picture of uh, Dick Tracy, and he does, he looks like, a little bit like a crash test dummy that is also a nutcracker. He's just, he's also a lot, he's like a lot weird. Yeah. So maybe he's like one of these, one of this like second class citizen that has somehow found a way into a light form of acceptance in the upper class society by becoming a uh, police as like a like a class traitor basically i don't think that's a um theory that is too far afield from (laughs) what is presented in the text yeah okay and like these guys all have really just unhinged names in dick tracy the only one i really caught was lips manless (laughs) (laughs) there's a guy called little face (laughs) 
Oh yeah, I I I loved him. That was real cool to see for me in my countenance. <laughs> There's a flat top who is so named for his completely flat head. <laughs> there was okay, there was a character that uh, I think is really important not necessarily for the plot, but in in sort of our ability to place the world that this occurs on spatially in the universe. Um, and that is a character named Itchy, which means this world has to exist within a sphere that encompasses the reasonable hyperspace travel distance that an elderly Wookiee could achieve in his lifetime. The, the latter part I of his see. lifetime. Okay, yep, yep. He, he got, like, real into his hollow porn like during life day and they kicked him out because grandpa you can't just be jerking it in the middle of the room that's inappropriate (laughs) yeah and he gets shunted off to dick tracy verse he just fucking dips he takes a ship he puts it into hyperdrive and he just goes and at some point before he dies he comes across a world and that's this world so it has to be i forget i have no idea how fast uh hyperspace travel is but like uh, let's it's say inconsistent. he has it, okay so let's say he has like uh maybe like a hundred years left on his lifespan that puts a maximum distance away from the star wars galaxy that this world can possibly be unless he unless. traveled inside a pergil's mouth a what a pergil a pergil yeah a pergil the space whales oh from rebels and also from ahsoka i haven't seen either of those in in okay well those are the two most well okay rebels is the most important star wars thing you can watch ahsoka is just sort of a six episode rebels season five (laughs) fair um but yeah i mean there's a reason why i have a the two pieces of star wars media that i have combined into a tattoo are campaign star wars and star wars rebels fair because um, I'm sure I've showed it to you before. I have the um, the Rebel Starbird, and then around that in Arabesh it says, make brave and heroic decisions. I love that. And it's like just this dumb thing that Trist said one time that became the refrain of the show. Yeah. Cause that show's and, good. Yeah. Some, some real talented I, people there. I fully agree. I wish they had been able to do a little bit more of the show, but I understand, you know different priorities in yeah. making media mean you end up having to make some sacrifices and Skyjax is all right too i i fucking love Skyjax. Skyjax is great i i i've kind of fallen off which is not to say that the quality has fallen off just that i like you know uh it, it at this point without without johnny it kind of doesn't feel like campaign anymore it is not quite the same no and <clears throat> With respect to what they're doing, I think the reason I like campaign Star Wars more is because they let the characters, and Cat particularly, let the characters just fuck around. And it really feels like um, Skyjax is a bit more story focused rather than mm-hmm. like, here's a situation, what are you guys going to do about it? Yeah, it's it feels like it's a lot more like planned story arcs. Um <clears throat> Did you ever uh, listen to uh, Kat's other show, Autonomic? I did, and I, I, I enjoyed Autonomic. I don't know that I ever actually finished it, just because 
it was a weird time when I started listening to it, and then I, I mean, didn't it, really pick it back up. It just sort of abruptly ended when pandemic hit, and it happens. Yeah, <clears throat> unfortunately, um, it was really good though. It made me want to play Burn Bright. There's that's the thing about actual plays, like when they're done well, it really gets you into the game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so unfortunate that, like, every other actual play is just Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Yeah. Because as is. a medium, it, it has so much potential to, like, really bring attention to some, like, phenomenal work that's out there in tabletop RPG land. Which is sort of why I have done, over the course of the runs of our podcasts, done multiple shoutouts to Party of One. Because without the week in and week out featuring a brand new system stuff that Jeff does, the, you know, it's it's very much a indie games Georg situation. Mm-hmm. Where it, it it is an outlier from the number of uh, like individual indie games that get featured on any given actual play podcast. Yeah, I got. I think the one shot podcast got me into wanting to play a lot of different games, which is cool. Yeah, and like um, Party of One does that, but it's like literally every week that it happens, mm-hmm. and more often than not, Jeff is playing it with the actual game designer. That is pretty cool. Uh, in a like one-on-one situation, and that's always fun. The 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 one-shot Starcrossed play lives in my head rent-free at all times in my life. Uh, that that's fair. Yeah, it's it's just really good and gay. Uh, I also need to shout out a podcast called Path of Night because it's fucking incredible and like not enough people listen to it. That's fair. Um, the the podcast I've been listening to most, the podcast I've been listening to most consistently is House of Snacks. Um, House of Snacks. I did just recently binge the entirety of that in like a week and a half. <laughs> Um, then, um, I, um, speaking of actual play podcasts that use Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, but this one's actually good. Um, what has aired so far of Ghost Puncher Corps is one of my most beloved actual play podcasts and the only 5th edition podcast I would ever listen to. That's Um, fair. It's hopefully maybe someday soon coming back and with a bespoke custom written Ghost Puncher Corps RPG. Hell Yeah. That is, uses powered by the apocalypse as the system. I the thing the thing about D and D that I annoys me both to listen to and to play is the the whole binary pass fail system is it it's it it makes it feel so bad if you don't pass a check and then you're just like well I guess we are I at a story guess wall. I'll go fuck myself. <laughs> Yeah, no, it sucks. Because it doesn't allow for failing forward, right? Yeah, like, no. You're just like, well, that's a wall now. Failures are almost always a halt point. Especially, yeah. like, social checks, they don't have to be. Social checks allow you to fail forward. And that's, like, just by virtue of them being social things where you can come back from it. But, like, this, the, you know, I... One time we had to climb a rope to get into combat, and my noodle arm cleric did not have the strength to climb a knotted rope, which meant I was not able to get into combat for six rounds mm. because I couldn't climb a knotted rope. 
so I'm in a I'm in a Pathfinder game and I really enjoy it. It's a very good group of people and we have a lot of fun. But we did yesterday have a situation where we were trying to put out a fire and um we had to like roll to to like stomp out bits of fire in different sections before it spread and the number of times we just fucking failed was incredible and it was like well like we are going to get this eventually probably but we do have to spend like 10 turns failing rolls <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 not like the I don't know. To me it's the it's the prospect of not being able to move forward from a failure, right? Or like Yeah. And it can it and can, like, it can I have like fun I'll, stories uh, when you get like really spectacularly unlucky like we did last night and our wizard who only who could only fail on a three or below failed like four turns in a row. But uh, yeah, that 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 can be funny. It, it's just like I think a lot of it comes from the feeling of it being a pass fail system being a weighted coin flip is that there's no emphasis in the rulebook because the rulebook usually just talks about what happens if you succeed except with certain spells if you know like if the right. person I guess that is still if they succeed the saving throw right right so it's just with the rulebook not really saying this is what happens when you fail. Yeah, it, it kind of just turns into a leaves the GM hanging. Yeah, especially if it's like could... a a crucial story hook that is like gated behind a a mm-hmm. pass fail check. It's just like, well, I guess we don't get that part of the adventure. And that's so. There's a certain thing that on Friends at the Table, Austin Walker does a lot, which is if they roll a fail. If someone if someone in the game rolls a failure, it's usually okay. You do that, and it blows up in your face this way. Yeah, I like that. It's it's never you fail to do the thing you like. You might fail to accomplish your goal, but the me- the mechanisms of how you wanted to accomplish that goal always happen. Which makes sense when you're dealing with like a highly skilled person, generally who's like good at what they do it makes mm-hmm. sense that they don't always accomplish their goals but it doesn't make a ton of sense that like someone who's very good at like doing a certain thing just sort of randomly fucks it up exactly like it's like you you're a professional wizard you're you might like maybe miss with a spell but the spell isn't going to explode in your face yeah unless you're doing something that's well outside of like your actual normal ability in in that case, you're doing something big, you're taking a big risk, and, like, the failure blowing up as an effect of the thing that you tried to do makes sense. It's just, more often than not, it's more narratively and emotionally satisfying to say, okay, you do the thing you said you were going to do, and here's why it doesn't do what you want it to do. Yeah, yeah, I like I like that. I like that in a game. Um, I you know I have very much with disaster lesbians made every attempt to sort of incorporate that style of gming into the failures that everyone rolls because yes, it's disaster more interesting. Lesbians is you know, good. people should listen to it if they're not. Yes, I, I I agree. I agree entirely. But I'm also a little biased. <laughs> I am unbiased. I'm not part of it. It's good. 
I'm really excited for the second arc to keep going because it's very silly and I've gotten a little bit wild with the mechanics of it. I love that. Uh, I have like custom game mechanics that I've written for the monster for the second arc. Hell yeah. That involve... Um, um, Emma, can you earmuffs for a sec? Wait, no. The people on the show actually listen to this show. Shit. I can't do that. <laughs> Fuck. You, um, you can you like, can bleep it out. <laughs> oh yeah, I can just edit it out. Um, yeah, you d- you'll definitely remember so, to do that. <laughs> um, there's a there's a laugh track mechanic. <laughs> Hell yeah! And if they can um, if they can be successful in making the monster laugh, um, certain things will occur that might expose the monster. That's great. And uh, it's it's just a very silly little way to go about, like, adding a little bit of spice to, um, like, making it less about actually just killing the thing outright, because that's what a lot of Monster of the Week adventures are, is yeah, go to place, kill thing. And if you can find an alternative way to do that so that it's not just go to place, kill thing... Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of fun. Speaking of go to place, kill thing. Dick Tracy. We should talk about Dick Tracy. And the opening scene does involve someone going to a place and killing some things. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I very much struggled with this movie. I don't blame you. So I'm going to rely on you having actually followed along. Because the things that I noticed about this movie were how nice the matte paintings looked. Oh, yeah. Stylistically, this movie ruled. Oh, yeah. No, like, the the thing about this movie is that it is an aesthetic marvel. It is wonderful. Yes. It won, like, it won three Oscars. Yeah. And all of those were deserved. Like, it won one for best music. It won one for, like, set design. And it won one for costuming. And I cannot fault any of those things. Um, I did also separately, after watching the movie, listen to the song that won the Oscar. Uh, was it good? Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's a show tune. Fair. So, <clears throat> one thing I did notice is... Uh, uh, Apart from the songs, uh, Danny Elfman did score this movie. Yeah. So my question is, if we swapped the soundtrack for uh, this and Fifty Shades of Grey, because you can do that, they're both by um, Danny Elfman. They're That's both just by basic algebra. Daniel fucking Elfman. <laughs> Daniel Robert Elfman. Uh, which movie is improved and which movie gets worse? I am going to say that... Having um, not heard the soundtrack for either of them. I'm going to say that um, Dick Tracy is neutral. Okay, that makes sense. What if... Oh my god. What if... But Fifty Shades, I think, becomes much more entertaining because of the whimsical soundtrack for this movie. Because one of the things I did was I did put on the soundtrack while I watched the movie. <laughs> I, I listened to a YouTube playlist of Nightcore. Which may have something to do with why it was easier to watch. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. (laughs) What if you switch the soundtracks and uh, the sex scene music from Fifty Shades perfectly lands up with all the horny scenes in this movie? 
Were there horny scenes in this movie? There, there were some. There's like the there's I mean, like, like the there's, scene where like there's a lot there's a lot of Madonna being ninety early nineties Madonna, right? Like, yeah, I mean there's a, there was know, like the scene where she like gets on his desk and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's like the the thing is that Madonna during that like blonde ambition era, very much like her whole gimmick was a edgier Marilyn Monroe for the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, she pulled that off, had her tits out in a PG movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just the <laughs> like, I mean, technically she was covered. Technically. She was wearing a she was wearing a see through nighty. Yeah. And you could see all of her tip. <laughs> yep. In a PG movie. This movie came out in 1990, so they don't even have the excuse of not having had PG-13 yet. Uh, apparently, uh, this was intended to be a hard PG-13 or R, and Disney made them cut it down to be more kid-friendly. Okay. That explains a lot, actually. Yeah, it kind of does. So I feel like this is the sort of movie... Um, that might have actually benefited from that, like, PG-13 or hard R. Yeah, definitely. Because it, like... it feels... Sorry, you could go ahead. It, like, it... I feel like that it, it would do a lot to sort of offset some of the cartooniness. Yeah. In a good like, way. It it feels like it wanted to fit the mold of like who framed roger rabbit yeah but a little bit more serious yeah it did have that vibe and i i get that like i respect that i don't think that's uh i certainly don't think that's a bad thing no um but yeah so apparently the marketing was intended to follow the same style of marketing that happened for the 1989 batman movie okay which is specifically why they decided hey you need to tone this down and make it PG. Because <laughs> they wanted to market it to kids with, like, Happy Meal toys and stuff like that. Mm. Dick Tracy was a weirdly huge, like, what extremely present in my childhood for some reason. The movie or the comics? Just sort of the concept of Dick Tracy. Probably because of the marketing for this movie, I imagine. I would have been, like... Yeah, I can see that. A few years old. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It feels like it... It it feels like it very much has the makings of a cultural phenomenon, too. Yeah. Because, like, you have Mr. Dunkachino himself, Al Pacino. (laughs) Uh, You have Madonna. Oh, yeah, it's an absolutely star-studded cast. Right, you have Dick Van Dyke. Kathy Bates is in it, and she's just barely, barely touched on at all through the entire movie. But Kathy Bates is a phenomenal actress. Dustin Hoffman, Mandy Patinkin, Paul Sorvino, James Caan, like, Catherine O'Hara. This is a movie that really has everything to be a cultural phenomenon and spawn an entire, like, franchise. And I think it would have if it was made today. Probably, yeah, I can see that. Paul Meany was also in this movie. Wild. Yeah, I, I can't believe Chief O'Brien shows up in 
Actually, I can't believe that Chief O'Brien oh, would show up so in a Dick Tracy holodeck simulation. Oh my god, yeah, I could totally see that. He, I think he was the guy that had, like, distinct forehead roles. Um, he was, a, he was, I think he was just a beat cop. Okay. Um, okay, so do we want to go over some of the names of these characters? Yeah, like, I, I feel like we don't even need to go through the plot. Like, it's a noir story. They're all identical. Yeah, it, it, the plot, that's the thing. It feels like it was a movie that was light on plot. Yeah. Compared to, like, the heaviness of how much vibe there was. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a it was a character's welcome movie with not I mean like the plot was there, but it was extremely basic like investigator takes down the mob story. Right. We do want to go through the the rogues gallery of absurd yes. character names though. So there's there's um Dick Tracy obviously. Dick Tracy fantastic name love it um the the street orphan's name is just the kid Mm. i did notice that on his like uh his his little certificate for being an honorary detective or whatever (laughs) um then we have glenn headley as tess trueheart who in my notes i labeled as um chastity do good (laughs) <laughs> which really does feel like a dick tracy kind of a name yeah yeah it does then we have just madonna like, crime oh, sorry, bad guy is is a name you'd you'd expect <laughs> to hear yes actually i mean there's a cop named sam ketchum <laughs> father to ash ketchum okay so here's the thing professor oak's name is samuel oak oh shit <laughs> So, take from that what you will. Oh, shit. (laughs) This is a true unsound theory. Oh, no. No. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. We fucking cracked it. (laughs) Cracked wide the fuck open. (laughs) Um... Okay, Uh. so Madonna plays Breathless Mahoney. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... Al Pacino plays Alphonse Big Boy Caprice. <laughs> um, and then we have the Rogues Gallery, Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles, William Forsyth as Flat Top. His most distinguishing feature is his square, flat cranium and matching haircut. Yeah. Ed O'Ross as Itchy, usually paired with Flat Top. Um, we have Numbers, the accountant, 88 Keys, the piano player, Prune Face. Oh, Prune God, face has a Prune so face. fucking upsetting to see. I hated that man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prune Face's top gunman is a guy named Influence. <laughs> the world's Paul- first influencer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul Sorvino plays Lips Manless. Chuck Hicks as The Brow. Neil Summers <laughs> as Rodent. Stig Eldred as Shoulders. Lawrence Stephen Myers as Little Face, James Kahn as Spud Spaldoni, Catherine O'Hara as Texi Garcia, and Robert Beecher as Ribs Mocha. <laughs> Ribs Mocha? Yep. I fucking love that. Uh, I just had a thought. Actually, fuck what this. If, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it may be the case that the people in this world cannot see just how absolutely ruined all of their heads are. Otherwise, the police have it so easy, they can just look at a guy and go, oh, his whole scene is completely fucked. He's obviously part of the mob. So I, what we're saying is that these people's faces are... They, they appear normal to each other. They appear normal they, they to each other. They cannot tell a difference between Dick Tracy and Pruneface. Pruneface. There's like, uh, so it's like we're seeing it through a particular lens where that lens maybe distorts some features that it, like distorts and exaggerates those features. Like maybe Prune Face's whole face isn't actually just a number of weird sort of yonic lines. <laughs> well, okay, so this is not Earth. They're uh, obviously not human. So like maybe their neurology just doesn't see those features as different from what we would think of as a normal human. Okay, so it's just that people on this world sometimes look like that. Yeah, and, and well, like, not... <sighs> they do and they don't, because people don't... S like, it's not that if you took... So it's like how we would recognize normal human variation as just a normal human. Yeah, like like the the extreme fucked upness just like they don't see it. I could buy that. Yeah. Okay, do we want to find out what this movie was about? Yeps, please. Did you say yeps? Yeah, yeah, I did do that. Okay, <laughs> just, just checking. Um, Dick Tracy is a 1990 American action crime comedy film based on the 1930s comic strip character of the same name, created by Chester Gould. <clears throat> Warren Beatty Venus. produced, directed, and starred in the film, which you never love to see that. Weirdly common on this show. Yeah. Supporting cast This is because it usually produces a not a good movie. Correct. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to skip over the excessive cast uh, and get to the plot. Yeah, we already in covered it. In 1938, an illegal at an illegal card game, a 10-year-old young street urchin witnesses the massacre of a group of mobsters at the hands of Flattop and Itchy, two of the hoods on the payroll of Alphonse Big Boy Caprice. Big Boy's crime syndicate is aggressively taking over small businesses in the city. Detective Dick Tracy catches the urchin, who calls himself Kid, in the act of petty theft. After rescuing him from a ruthless host, Tracy temporarily adopts him with the help of his girlfriend, Tess Trueheart. Meanwhile, Big Boy coerces club owner Lips Manless into signing over the deed to Club Ritz. He then kills Lips with a cement overcoat, referred to on screen as The Bath. Interesting. And steals his girlfriend, the seductive and sultry singer Breathless Mahoney. After Lips is reported interesting, Tracy interrogates his three hired guns, Flattop, Itchy, and Mumbles, then goes to the club to arrest Big Boy for Lips's murder. Breathless is the only witness. Instead of providing the testimony, she unsuccessfully attempts to seduce Tracy. Big Boy cannot be indicted, and he is released from jail. Big Boy's next move is to bring other criminals, including Spud Spaldoni, Pruneface, Influence, Texi Garcia, Ribs Mocha, and Numbers together under his leadership. Spaldoni refuses and is killed with a car bomb, leaving Dick Tracy, who discovered the meeting and was attempting to spy on it, wondering what's going on. The next day, Big Boy and his henchmen kidnap Tracy and attempt to bribe him. 
him. Tracy rebuffs them, prompting the criminals to attempt to kill him. However, Tracy is saved by the kid, who is then bestowed by the police with an honorary detective certificate, which will remain temporarily temporary until he decides on a legitimate name for himself. Breathless shows up at Tracy's apartment once again, trying to seduce him. Tracy allows her to kiss him, Tess witnesses the scene, and leaves town. Tracy leads a seemingly unsuccessful raid on Club Ritz, but is actually a diversion so that Officer Bug Bailey can enter the building to operate a secretly installed listening device so the police can listen in on Big Boy's criminal activities. The resultant raids wipe out Big Boy's criminal empire. However, Big Boy discovers Bug and captures him for a trap planned by Influence and Pruneface to kill Tracy in a warehouse. In the resulting gun battle, a stranger with no face called The Blank steps out of the shadows to save Tracy as he's cornered and kills Pruneface. Influence escapes as Tracy rescues Bug from the fate that befell Lips Manless, and Big Boy is enraged to hear that The Blank foiled the hit. Tracy again attempts to extract testimony from Breathless that he needs to put Big Boy away. She agrees to testify only if Tracy agrees to her advances. Taz eventually has a change of heart before she can tell Tracy she's kidnapped by The Blank, and with the help of Big Boy's club piano player, 88 Keys. Tracy is drugged and rendered unconscious by the blank, then framed for murdering the corrupt district attorney, John Fletcher, whereupon he is detained by police. The kid, meanwhile, adopts the name Dick Tracy Jr. Big Boy's business thrives until the blank frames him for Tess's kidnapping. Released by his colleagues on New Year's Eve, Tracy interrogates Mumbles and arrives at a gun battle outside Club Ritz where Big Boy's men are killed or captured by Tracy and the police. Abandoning his crew, Big Boy flees to a drawbridge and ties Tess to its gears before confronted by Tracy. Their fight is halted. Yeah, Their fight is halted when... <laughs> The blank appears and both and holds both men at gunpoint, offering to share the city with Tracy after Big Boy is dead. When Junior arrives, Big Boy takes advantage of the distraction and opens fire before Tracy sends him falling to his death near the bridge's gears, while Junior rescues Tess. Mortally wounded, the blank is unmasked to reveal breathless Mahoney, who tries to kiss Tracy before dying. Um, all charges against Tracy are dropped. Later, Tracy proposes to Tess, but is interrupted by the report of a robbery in progress. He leaves her with the ring before he and Dick Tracy Jr. depart to respond to the robbery. End of movie. Mm. Yep. So here's a fun fact about the Dick Tracy comics. Okay. Dick Tracy Jr. has, in the comic canon, had two wives. One of them was a moon princess, like a a literal princess from the moon. Because in the Dick Tracy comics, there are moon people. So he has a half moon and a half-human baby. Yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, Apparently... John Landis was originally supposed to be the director, and he got two drafts of the movie and then said, actually, I'm not doing this. It's terrible. The only positive thing is the setting and great villains. The story's paper thin and uncomfortably campy. Mm. And you know what? Paper thin and uncomfortably campy is about how I would describe this movie. Yeah, which is not necessarily a bad thing in all cases. Yeah, you know? Sometimes you like a good, shitty, campy movie. That that feels about right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you want some reviews, or do you want to go over awards and things? Just one quick thing. It is um, the most. It's tied for most winningest uh, comic book or comic strip movie at the Academy Awards. It's tied with Black Panther, having both having won three Oscars. Nice. That's. Well, well done to them. All right, let's hear some reviews. All right, James Sweet. 
gives this one star and says, Madonna, need I say more? The woman can't act or sing. I, are we talking about the same Madonna? <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like uh, winning a lot of awards for music is maybe uh, sort of an, uh, uh, you 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 did it bad, James Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. All right. Um, what's, our, what's our next one? Anna gives us three stars and titles the review. Just a movie and says, I don't like this kind of movies. Just bought it because I wanted to see Madonna. He is not the best actress, but I love the way she sings. I just liked that for gender fluid Madonna. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like if we were to update the blonde ambition era for the modern era, it would involve Madonna coming out as non-binary. Yeah. Um, like, there was already a lot of bisexuality in the stuff she was doing at the time, which was pretty cutting edge. I would love it. Let's make this happen. Reality. Do it. Amazon customer. The Amazon customer. Gives us three <laughs> stars. And titles the customer. <laughs> Beautiful set decoration with bad script. And the way this is formatted with line breaks makes me makes it look like this is supposed to be more of a poem than a uh, a review. So I'm going to read it in that way. Okay. I watched this movie about two months ago, and I only enjoyed Al Pacino in it. He was superb in this movie and very funny. Under the heavy makeup about Madonna and Warren Beatty, I didn't like their acting, and I'm still not a big fan for the both of them. The soundtrack of the movie is boring. The worst songs of Madonna. Except for the set decoration, the wonderful makeup for the actors, and the great actor, Al Pacino, there isn't anything interesting in this trash. The script is awful, and the main character played by Warren Beatty is one of the most boring characters in the history of the American cinema. <laughs> some, some real beat poetry there. Yeah, we love it. We lo- love to see it. I have another temporal mystery I'd like you to solve. Samuel P. Feingold gives it four stars and titles the review Dick Tracy DVD and says, We need to update our VHS tapes to DVDs. I do enjoy watching the old school depictions and corny names. When was this review uh, written? I'm going to say 2013. Missed it by a fucking mile. February 8th, 2023. Holy Christ. (laughs) They need to update their VHSs to DVDs in 2023. <laughs> Apparently. <clears throat> Did the tapes just start to demagnetize or something? <laughs> I don't. Like, I guess. Maybe they just stopped being able to buy VHS players. It's gotta be something like that. Yeah. Frederick Norwood gives it four stars and titles the review What to Make of a Camp Dick Tracy. When, to the best of my memory, Madonna licks her own spittle, you know you're at camp. Mm. But it is a fair amount of fun to watch major stars, Dustin Hoffman et al., trash a mid-level comic strip. Good, but no little orphan Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, um... It's like she said, um, bet your bottom dollar. All of my dollars are bottom dollars, so... That's the only thing I can bet. Um, Arthur Blenheim (laughs) gives it four stars. Titles review, entertaining detective noir film. And it reads, I don't believe the reason this movie was good was because it had box office success. 
I don't believe this movie was good because it was complicated. Dick Tracy it is wasn't. like the gangster noir films of the 30s, 40s, and 50s with a heavy importance placed on the visuals. The visuals fit the events. And one gets a feeling of film noir that is totally new and relevant. Using visuals to tell the story can be more important than the plot since the art of film deals with the visual medium. I also don't understand how people would reject Danny Elfman's score, which is fun and seems to fit the comic book theme and subject. Elfman's music actually goes somewhere, whereas I will never understand the greatness of, let's say, John Williams, whose music I generally reject as hollow and uneducated. The cast is amazing, and Madonna hmm. in particular is actually good in her role as Breathless Mahoney, contrary to the actress's awful reputation. Movies should be judged on their cinematic qualities. If the film were not a film, but a book instead, people's hard criticisms might be justified. So, like, I, I will agree that the Danny Elfman soundtrack was actually quite delightful. It was whimsical in the right way. It was mysterious in the right way. Like, I truly can't complain about the soundtrack from having listened to it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this person liked this movie for the wrong reasons. Yes, I agree. But it's got cinematic qualities. I have two more reviews for us. Both of them are mm -hmm. extremely important. <clears throat> Blockhead gives us four stars, and titles the review Out of Chicago by Hopper. Is Blockhead one of the villains? <laughs> oh, shit. We've got... <laughs> we stumbled on a conspiracy. He escaped. He escaped the movie. <clears throat> it reads, and this is, like, next-level prose. Okay, I hope you're ready. <clears throat> Not Dennis, but Edward Hopper, painter of lonely souls in harsh-lit diners. Well worth a watch, if only for its wall-to-wall -wall ugliness. Beatty does a great impersonation of Elliot Ness, aka Robert Stack, who had the most immobile features in the business. This is history. How the American Midwest dream was destroyed by urban corruption and big city values, and of course, prohibition. An object lesson in the way pure comic book stereotypes can make you think a bit. Someone said this film was disturbing. It is. Nietzsche and Plato, Plato are defeated by simple va family values. Who wrote these songs? Was it Sondheim or someone else called Elfman? Madonna is great, but the songs just seem ordinary to me. I guess Sondheim is an acquired taste I haven't acquired yet. Great cast, great acting, very unusual design, direction, many good lines and all that. But overall, a little too hideous to swallow in the end. Mutton stew gone cold. So I don't like the way they said big city values. Because <laughs> that reads like it says big city values in triple parentheses. Yeah. You know, it just say the Jews if you mean the Jews. Because that's what people mean when they say big city values. <laughs> <clears throat> it's mutton stew gone cold. What more can I say? Um, significantly more, why is it, why is mutton stew your point of reference? That's a great question. That's a great question. <laughs> Our final review was written, I don't know if this is a character in the movie, but it was written by, and this is all caps, he who funks behind the rose. And they gave it five stars. He, he, he who, who funks, funks behind the rose. Yes. R-O-S-E or R-O-W-S? R-O-W-S. Okay. Yep. Five-star review. It's titled, A Great Version of a Classic Comic Book Character Brought to the Big Screen. And uh, the way this is formatted makes me think it is supposed to be a bit of poetry, so I will read it as such. 
I had to revisit this movie almost 20 years later to really grasp the filmmaker's vision of this old comic book classic, Warren Beatty, Al Pacino. Dustin Hoffman and the other cast members all pull off stellar depictions of the classic arch-villains that generations from the late 30s to the 60s grew up on. The real catalyst that brought all of this together, though, was the excellent makeup, costuming, and cinematography. Just stellar. Even Madonna did a good job as Breathless Mahoney. Her and Beatty were hot and heavy during this time, and she was in the midst of her blonde ambition, slash truth or dare period. Can you say femme fatale? If you get into comic characters brought to life in a believable fashion, then this is great for your collection. Okay, I feel like that needs to be read as a slam poem. Can you send me that the text of that? I'll give it a shot reading it as a slam poem. Yes, okay. Uh, 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 there you go. Okay. I had to revisit this movie almost 20 years later to really grasp the filmmaker's vision of this old comic book classic. Warren Beatty, Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, the other cast members all pull off stellar depictions of these classic arch villains that generations from the late 30s through the 60s grew up on. The real catalyst that brought all of this together. The excellent makeup, costuming, and cinematography. Just stellar. Even Madonna did a good job as Breathless Mahoney. Her and Beatty were hot and heavy during this time. And she was in the midst of her blonde ambition. Truth or dare, period. Can you say femme fatale? If you get into comic book characters brought to life in a believable fashion, then this is great for your collection. (laughs) God. It and was now, a re- Can you say femme fatale? Can femme fatale? See, si, femme fatale. <laughs> Fuck you, cat. <laughs> can you say cocaina? <laughs> Okay. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about this movie? Our next movie is Dora the Explorer. <laughs> okay, but that's not a bad choice for a movie for that. I know, right? Like, we have to do it now. Yeah! Thanks for listening. We sure did it. Bye. Bye. Unsound Theories is made by Danger Square Productions. You can follow us on Tumblr at Danger Square Media or follow Kat and Kira on their respective Tumblrs at ZaftiCat, that's Z-A-F-T-I-K-A-T, and Sapphire-Mess. The best ways to support what we do are leaving five-star reviews on the podcatcher of your choice or telling a friend about the show. If you'd like to support us monetarily to help us keep the lights on, you can visit dangersquare.ca where you'll find links to our Patreon. The music used in this episode is Dance on All the Cell Phones by Chris Postel of Sounds Like an Earful. Visit soundslikeanearful.com to hear more of Chris's tracks. Until next time, thanks for listening, because we sure didn't. Hey, you know what you need if you want to dick Tracy? You need a penis stencil. (laughs) 